looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome, welcome, welcome all back to another episode of Make Money, Make Sense in Real Estate. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, with my late late night DJ voice for anyone that has uh, read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Hopefully some of you guys got that, but no, appreciate you guys being here on another episode of Make Money, Make Sense. Again, I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, super excited to be here with you guys. And man, oh man, what a year it has been already. It's uh, recording this about February 7th, and it has been uh, a, a great year so far, honestly. A weird year. The economy has uh, uh, shifted, pivoted, changed, and so many different things going on right now. Um, on the brokerage side of the business, completed 30, or excuse me, I shouldn't say completed, but have a total of 33 transactions so far for this year. So we're off to a phenomenal start on the multifamily brokerage side of the business. Um, one, two, three, six of those deals have closed so far. The other, I believe uh, that's 27 deals are still pending and getting ready to close out here. So super exciting start to the year. I, I personally predicted that, you know, last year I predicted that in 2023 that I would have a slower year and my income would be down on the brokerage side of the business. And I'll tell you right now, just in this last month, I've written enough uh, business and, and, you know, pending what's pending at the end of last year that's carrying over in this this year to close, um, a phenomenal staggering number. Last year, I did about 80 transactions. I've already got 33 for the year. So if history repeats, you know, it, well, if the numbers show, I'll beat 2022, which is phenomenal. And that's, you know, not just me, that's a um, a, a good group of investors, clients that I have on my backside that I'm able to help out to do these deals. So greatly appreciate that. Then on the multifamily syndication side of the business, I uh, looked at a total of, let me get it pulled up here, uh, 29 deals last month in our target market in North and South Carolina, 29 deals. Um, most of those deals were off market, quote, quote unquote, off market. And uh, numbers just didn't make sense. There were sellers that really weren't sellers. They were just throwing out a number that was stupid and hoping to get it, uh, which in my opinion, I think those those days are over. Um, they started to come up a little bit. You know, those three caps have come up to four caps. Those four caps have come up to five caps, but still they just didn't make sense. And there was uh, one deal that we offered on that we really liked, we did not get. And uh, another deal we offered on yesterday that I, I do think we're actually going to get, but now we got to go through the due diligence process. So uh, that's just a little update I have on you know both sides of the business, the brokerage and the investing side that I'm doing. But this episode, I really want to talk about um, six things you can do in real estate where you will never lose any money, hypothetically. And these are six things that we constantly, constantly, constantly practice in our business of investing when we're investing with your capital or investor's capital. And I think these are super important to talk about. So number one, we always buy a property that positively cash flows from day one. We're never buying anything that is negative cash flow day one. Um, I know a lot of investors do. They'll buy you know, with little or no cash flow 
and in order to have a huge value add upside to purchasing that. Well, if it's not cash flowing, it probably means you overpaid for the asset. So we want to see some form of cash flow, and especially for the debt side of things. Like we want to get agency financing, it's going to have to cash flow. There's no question asked. That's when you, you know, when it's not cash flowing, little to no cash flow or negative, you're taking on bridge debt for that short time uh, to bridge the the debt, uh, or excuse me, bridge the gap. So very rarely should you buy a property that is immediately in the red, unless there is literally 100% chance you can get it in the black shortly after closing with little to no risk. So an example, you're buying a property that maybe is uh, low occupancy or super below market rates because whoever's managing it or owning it is doing a piss poor job, um, which is is blatantly 100% the point. Um, no speculation, no risk here. You just know that, you know, 10 out of 100 of the units aren't rented because they're not currently marketing the units. Well, obviously, they're not going to get rented if they're not marketed. So point number one, always buy a property that positively cash flows from day one. Number two, do not over speculate. So yeah, in real estate, we make predictions and we speculate to a degree for our investment all the time, but don't make flat out stupid projections. For example, showing a double digit annual rent growth after stabilization no one can save you from those assumptions. So I did a webinar last night of underwriting and I was showing how, you know, people or operators, when they underwrite multifamily, they'll use a very low exit cap rate. And that's a stupid assumption that you're always going to lose out on. You have to make a conservative assumption. Um, we typically say, you know, we get to stabilization by year two and we look at anywhere from a two to 4% annual rent growth annually after stabilization. Well, I'm seeing guys put 7, 8, 9, 10, 11% rent growth annually after stabilization, which I think is asinine. I think that's crazy. Um, and, you know, just little mistakes like that when underwriting and looking at a deal are going to add up and uh, it's going to make a deal not look that great. So we're very conservative. We, you know, we're conservative in multiple aspects. So that way, if we're right or wrong here, we can be the opposite over here and the underwriting, and it still saves us to a degree. So again, do not over-speculate. Do not make some, some crazy assumptions on your underwriting for buying a property. Number three, you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, long-term fixed rate debt. Um, I like sleeping at night, and I do very well knowing that all my real estate debt is a fixed interest rate for four years or greater. A lot of investors, I talked about this recently, that are taking on two-year you know, floating date, uh, floating rate debt is major risk in my opinion. Um, you know, ask anyone that is a seller soon in 2023 because they didn't see 7% or 6% interest rates coming and they had only a two-year uh, loan with no options to extend, no extensions, and they had a rate cap in there. So fixing your rate is, it, you know, again, I talked about this last night at a webinar I did, fixing your rate is a no-brainer because every single day, every single year, every single month, I know exactly what my debt payment's going to be whether it's interest only or principal, and at what point. And I'm also going to know exactly what our prepayment penalty is because we only opt for step-down prepayment penalty. We don't do any defeasement or yield maintenance. So I can say, okay, if we're going to sell in, in year two, I know where my principal balance is going to be, and I know exactly what my prepayment penalty is going to be. It's 5%. Or if we're going to sell in year five, I know exactly what the principal balance is going to be. So I know what the, you know, the, the profit's going to be based on the proceeds of sale. And I know our prepayment penalty is going to be 3%. So what is step-down prepayment penalty for someone that's you know wondering? Well, each year we're going to have a principal balance. And each year there's a different uh, 
percentage of that principal balance that's your prepayment. So if I say 5544321, then that means for the first two years, because I said 55, that the prepayment penalty is going to be 5% in year one and year two. Year three and four, it's going to be 4% because it's 5544. Year five is going to be 3%. Year six, 2%. Year seven, 1%. And then the loan's due by year seven, so there's not going to be no prepayment penalty. Um, the only thing that can uh, kind of get you out of the prepayment penalty is if there is a uh, assumption. So if someone is assuming the debt you have on the property when they go to buy it, which means basically they're just taking over exactly where it is, they have to get underwritten and approved by the lender. There's typically a 1% fee with that. The buyer's typically going to pick it up because you're giving them great debt terms. So that's how you can get out without having any prepayment penalty. And this sometimes allows for a lower price to get in. So if we're looking at a deal we want to purchase, and right now interest rates are at you know 5.75%, but they have 3.5% you know, fixed for five more years, we're going to look to assume that debt. The only downfall of that is you're going to have a, uh, a much lower LTV because you have to meet the principal balance they have on the loan right now. This could be a whole other conversation as you can take on supplementals. But, you know, quick and fast, long-term fixed rate debt, you know exactly what your payments are going to be. You don't have to pay a rate cap. You know what your prepayment penalty is going to be. It's not short like two or three years. It's four, five, six, seven years of fixed rate debt. So there's very little risk in there. You know exactly what it's going to be. So that's huge. Number four is start and build a reserve account. This one is huge. I see a lot of people underwriting just, okay, what is my down payment? What are my closing costs? And any escrows or prepaids I have to uh, put into the property. Well, a big one they're, they're missing out is a reserve or working capital. So typically we take anywhere of 1% to 5% of the purchase price and set that money aside in an account for a rainy day. So on every deal we buy, we raise and regularly add to a reserve account. If for some reason the faucet stopped and not a single tenant paid rent, we could still pay the necessary expenses such as debt, insurance, taxes to keep the investment afloat. So again, another deal I underwrote last night, if every single tenant stopped paying rent today, we had enough money in the bank to survive for four months of uh, mortgage payments, debt payments, and all expenses. But reality is 100% of our tenants are not going to stop paying. Um, it's just, it's, I've never seen it happen. And I don't think it would ever happen. If we're talking a 60 unit building, maybe 20% of your tenants stop paying. Well, that reserve account of call it $120,000, that's going to get you by a whole year of expenses. So make sure you have the reserve account, have it, not need it, instead of need it and not have it kind of thing. And if you have it and you don't end up needing it, when you sell the deal, that all goes back to investors anyway. So it's not like wasted capital that you spent. So start and build a reserve account. That is huge. I can't stress that enough. And we're consistently adding to that reserve account. Um, so each month or each quarter, I should say, that we do distributions, we hold back a certain amount to put it in that savings account and kind of build up a war chest. Number five, you guys have heard it time and time and time again. Location, location, location. Real estate is a location business. The one thing you can't change about these properties is where they're located. The one thing they're not making more of is land, with exception of Hawaii, you know. Uh, but you, you really can't, they're not making more land. It is a supply and demand thing. And there's certain land, if I built two of the same exact buildings, 
they will never be exactly the same because they will not be on the same exact plot of land. If I build a, a 30 unit building on the north side of town and then another 30 unit on the south side of town, I can almost guarantee you their value will be slightly different because of the locations. So we look at location a lot. I know, lame, you hear it all the time, but if a property isn't selling, it may be because the location sucks. So if you're looking at a property and it's been sitting on the market, it's probably because the location sucks or the price is too high. And what makes you think when you go to sell that property, you're not going to have the same issue of selling it? Because you, again, you can't change the location. You can't control what the neighbors are doing. You can only control what you and your group are doing to the property. So um, make sure you buy in a desirable location. So if, if really there's an emergency and you need to dump the property, you can. Uh, versus having it in a bad location and you know something happens, something crazy, and you need the capital or your, or your investors need the capital and you need to dump the property. If you're in a bad area, it's going to be very tough to do that. So if you're always buying a good locations, you're always going to have an M buyer. You're going to have um, an easy time getting residents. You're going to have an easy time getting technicians working on the property. It just makes it a lot easier. And then number six, run it right. This is common sense, but rule number five in the right location only works if you run the property well. If you let the property go, uh, the local municipality or the lender can take the property from you. Use common sense. Just make sure the property's kept up. It's safe. It's habitable for the, t the tenants, the residents, and it, and it looks good because the way your property looks is a direct uh, representation of how you treat people in your property, in my opinion. If your property's run down, cracked um, in the pavement, the roof looks like crap, the siding looks like crap, every, there's trash all over the place, it's not very taken care of, well, you're probably a slumlord. To a degree, and you, you, what your property looks like is the type of tenants it's going to bring in. So if it's crappy, run down, and people don't respect it, you're going to get those type of tenants. If it's well kept, cleaned up, and in good shape, and again, a good location, those are the type of tenants you're going to get. They're probably going to pay. They're probably going to enjoy it. They're probably going to, and you know, tell their friends and have people come over. So this is something huge that you should uh, really look at when um, you're running these properties is how you keep it. So. Again, to review all those those six things real quick, buy a property that positively cash flows from day one is number one. Number two, do not over-speculate or make bad assumptions. Number three, take on long-term fixed rate debt. Number four, start and build a reserve account. Number five, location, location, location. Make sure you're buying in a good location. And then number six, run it right. So make sure you're running the property correctly and it's and it's staying uh, you know up to date and maintenance. So hope you guys find this episode to be helpful. I appreciate all you guys that are listening. If you guys ever have feedback or a topic you want me to talk about, feel free to message me, shoot me an email, whatever. Would certainly love to talk with you guys. Appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.